Here's your host, Alex Garrett. All right. Back here on the Sports Hour and uh, with Alex Garrett on Alex Garrett Podcasting and Can You Dig Sports? Someone I really dig. He's like a family member at this point. Lou Terminello. Uh, you're more than just a friend. You've got career in sports, and I've been wanting to get you on this podcast for so many years. Here we are. Thanks for joining, Lou. Hey, it's a pleasure to join you. Uh, you're a, you are like family, and uh, it's a pleasure that uh, you that you have me on. Looking forward to the, the next uh, segment here. And we talk about sports all the time, but I want to focus on your career in sports because a lot of people listening to this probably want to know how to break into the business and. I feel like Lou, you're the guy to turn to with this because you've been in the business. You've done. Uh, you've been a senior VP with the New Jersey Nets Sports and Entertainment. Uh, yes, the New Jersey Nets. Let's start there. Uh, and a senior VP, talk about your experience in the sports business with the Nets. Firstly, well, uh, Alex, when I was in seventh grade and twelve years old, I told my seventh grade nun that I want to work in the sports business. I I knew at an early age I couldn't hit a curveball, couldn't hit a jump shot, but I love sports so much I wanted to get into business. So um, when I graduated from college, I, I was a history major and uh, a journalism minor, and um, I uh, my goal was to get into get into sports. Now in those days, back in the right around 1980. You didn't have the opportunities to work for a sports organization like there is today. ESPN was just coming into play. Uh, the NBA had 23 teams. Now they have 30. Uh, staffs were small. Team staffs were small. There were about 20, 25 people. The NBA office, which now has thousands of people, the legal office, at that time had about 50, 45 to 50. So to break into the business was a challenge. You had to get lucky. You had to know somebody. Well, I didn't know anybody. So uh, I just uh, kept digging, kept calling, and uh, I wrote everywhere. I applied everywhere in the country. And um, I uh, was lucky enough. I'm a Jersey guy, and I was lucky enough on my third try to get a sales job with the New Jersey Nets. And um, it was no guarantee that I was going to become my career because when I, the only thing they had was a three-month full-time job, full-time part-time job in uh, 1981. Make a long story short, they liked my work. After three months, they hired me full-time, and I was there for 28 years. And uh, started, started at the bottom, selling tickets, worked my way up, um, did stuff outside of my uh, job description. You all have to always have to do duties outside of your job description and pay your dues. Uh, and um, it was a rewarding uh, twenty-eight year career with the Nets. Well, and, 20, uh, twenty-eight years, Lou. Yeah. No, no stories, right? Absolutely, complete dullness working for the New Jersey Nets. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, no, there was some, there were some interesting stories and some exciting times. But before we get to some of the stories, sure. getting back to anybody who's listening who wants to break into the industry, um, just don't worry about how much that you're going to get paid if you get an opportunity in sports. You're not going to get rich right away. The most important thing is getting your foot in the door, working hard, showing versatility, and you, you will 
uh, you will have a career. Being versatile, showing versatile skills is, is important. It, it really is. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to uh, build my career, because uh, even though I was in sales, I, uh, I knew a lot about media, and I developed a, um, a knack for, for media. I, I helped in public relations. I helped in, in event operations. So the more you know, the better it is, it, it better it is for any young people who looking to get into, into the business. Well, now that you're on versatility, let, let's pause the stories thing for a minute because – I also feel that sports in general, like the athletes, they're being told to do one sport. And isn't that damaging sports as well? Like, why can't these kids be versatile nowadays? Well, you're right. You make a, you make a very good point at the high school and pre-high school level. Uh, kids who used to play uh, uh, baseball in the springtime and play basketball or hockey in the wintertime now are just playing one sport because the sport has become a year-round challenge for them, a year-round development for them. I mean, I know, I know, I have friends whose kids played two sports, and uh, they they uh, dropped to one because a to concentrate on one, and to b the schedules were clashing with each other, so they were afraid that they weren't going to get to their full potential uh, on on a sport because they were splitting themselves uh, too thin. The baseball seasons. Uh, overriding the hockey season or, or, or the basketball season. So that's why you see, and you're right, it is hurting the kid. It really is hurting the kid. Uh, a lot of these athletic kids uh, are missing opportunities because they're just concentrating on one sport. And hopefully the one that they concentrate on, the sport that they concentrate on, is the one that they will be the best at. But it, you very seldom see the uh, kids playing uh, uh, two or three sports like when I was young. You know, you talk about versatility, Lou. I've got to ask you this because you've probably seen resume after resume, and the kids, oh, yeah. as they got, as the generations kept going into the two thousands, did you see less of Lou and more of sort of this "I deserve to be here" kind of mentality when applying to be with the Nets? Alex, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, I did see that. There was a lot of people in the, I would say, uh, in the early two thousands. Uh, when you see resumes, uh, they did not want people did not want to pay their dues. They did not want to do certain jobs. Uh, after four or five months, they wanted to uh, become uh, directors or vice presidents. They didn't want to take the uh, the normal uh, path uh, to uh, promotion. And uh, you can't do that. Not in sports. You really can't do it in sports. And really, you can't do it in work. You got to pay your dues, and you got to work hard. And it's and there's a lot of dirty jobs. Um, I remember one time. I'll give you. I'll give you a story. Uh, one time, uh, we were playing the Detroit Pistons. This was in '83 or '84, and uh, there was a major snowstorm in New Jersey and at a whole uh, eastern seaboard, and the uh, truck carrying. Are ten thousand or fifteen? It was either ten or fifteen thousand um, promotional items, and uh, couldn't get through the snow. Mm. Couldn't get, couldn't get, couldn't get through the snow. So we had to give out vouchers to a sellout crowd. And the Meadowlands, where we played in, is called the Meadowlands Arena, then the Continental Airlines Arena, then the Izod Center. Uh, held twenty thousand people. We had to give out vouchers to the people who came in because. The truck didn't get there until the second quarter. 
Okay. Now I have I have game night duties, but I, none of us had this game night duty. But we had to all pitch pitch in. We had to help uh, unload the truck with the promotion items, get them to the gates, so when people were leaving, um, they get the, they get their promotional item. So it's not all that you know. Wow, I'm working for a sports team, and I'm going to see Michael Jordan tonight, or LeBron James, or Kevin Durant. It's real work, and you work long hours. And, oh, game day uh, operations is so incredible. I mean, people don't understand that. They do not understand it. People think that you, you come in, the lights go on, and it, it starts. I mean, uh, the uh, game operations people are working all the time. Uh, once one game's over, they're working on the next game. They're working five, six games ahead, uh, getting the halftime acts available, getting the national anthem singer, uh, changing videos, um, changing music. And the thing is, everybody's an expert. You're not going to please 100% of the people. Who doesn't like certain music? Who doesn't like certain videos? Who doesn't like certain on-court games? Uh, you know, a half-court shot. Um, things of that nature. Now, Lou, does that change uh, you know, in the playoffs? Because obviously you don't know if they're going to be a game tomorrow or not. Um, in the playoffs, it changes for the finals. I don't, uh, it, it, I don't know if it's been moved up to the conference finals, but when I was with the Nets and we got to the finals two years in a row in 2001 and 2002, back-to-back finals, uh, we took care of game operations, the halftime acts, the... Um, uh, the on-court contest, but in the finals, the NBA takes over. You have some input, but the NBA takes over. It's the, it's the NBA. The NBA runs the finals. Uh, there's expanded. There's expanded media, which shrinks the capacity to sell tickets. Um, you know, uh, so the league is in charge. The league is in charge because there's. There's national TV, there's international TV, there's national radio. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a, when you get to the finals, and that's a good, that's a good problem to have. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, for those listening, if you remember, you know, Lou said he was there for 28 years, and in that span, that includes the kid, Jefferson, Kittles, Carter, Era, and, of course, that led to the finals. And I know, Lou, you're still to this day – so ticked they lost to the Lakers. Why are you so ticked they lost? You well, keep saying well, you think well, they could have won it. Really, I'm, I'm more lost. I'm more ticked that we lost to the Spurs. Uh, I'll give you. A, I'll give you a little uh, uh, background. Now, uh, when we won in uh, 2002, the 2001-2002 the season, when we beat the Celtics in six games to win the Eastern Conference Championship, that night um, the uh, Sacramento Kings were playing game six against the, uh, against the Lakers. Now, the Kings and the Lakers had been battling for a while. The Kings had been a woe-begone franchise, just like the Nets were, and they came up and they became a title contender with Weber and uh, um, uh, Bibby and uh, people like that. They were, very good. they were a very good team. They had lost to the Lakers a couple of times in the playoffs previously. This was their year to beat the Lakers, and uh, they they lost they lost that night. But they won that night, and then they lost Game Seven two nights later when they were the best free throw shooting team in the league, and they missed fourteen or fifteen free throws, lost Game Seven in overtime. 
Now that night when the when the when the uh, Lakers beat the Kings, I knew we couldn't handle Shaq, uh, and that's why it was so important for, in my estimation, that we needed the Kings to win that night because I don't think that the Sacramento Kings would have beaten us in the NBA final. They would have been, A, so happy that they finally beat the Lakers, and number two, we were so fast offensively, I don't think their defense would have been able to hold us down. Jason Kidd, Kittles, Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, nobody ran a break like Kidd. And uh, we got easy baskets after easy baskets. I think we would have beaten, would have beaten the Kings. Uh, then, But again, once they lost... We had no answer for Shaq. I mean, we had Todd McCullough as one of our centers, Aaron Williams, a very good center, but they're all undersized, and mm. Jason Collins. Jason Collins did the best job against Shaq, but, you know, he gets into, he gets into foul trouble because Shaq is unguardable. He's just that dominant, a player. Uh, so we lost. We lost four straight like I thought we were going to. So the next year, we get to the finals again. We win 10 games in a row in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, 10 playoff games in a row, which is pretty impressive. Uh, we, were, we had 10 days off, and then we played the Spurs in game one, and we lost. We were stale. We lost game one. We won game two. We lost game three at home. Won game four at home. And uh, unfortunately, got off to, uh, lost game five at home, even though we got off to a very good start in game, game five. Um, and they hit a couple of jump shots, the Spurs did. Steve Kerr, who has a lot of rings, both as a coach and a player, hit some shots to create separation. So we go back to San Antonio down three games to two. And um, we're winning by 14, 15 points most of the second and third quarter. Still up by six at the end of three. And then in the fourth quarter, we fell apart. And we were outscored 31 to 14 in the fourth quarter. And we lost uh, that game 83 to 77, I believe it was. It was a six or seven point game. And... uh, we we lost. That was a bitter. The Spur loss was a bitter pill to swallow because we had opportunities to win that, mm. um, and uh, uh, that was disappointing. Next next year, uh, uh, we lost the Eastern Conference semifinals. Kid was on one leg, heroic. He had a major knee injury, but you can't keep Jason Kidd down. Uh, there there was no time management for Jason Kidd. The kid guy always played, and is one of the greatest competitors uh that i that i saw i witnessed on a night-to-night basis he was that good he would do anything to win Doesn't it's kind of a, a crazy but... way how his career and life sort of spiraled right i mean it's just like such a hero and now all of this happens to him it's like you know he could have probably had his number retired and whatnot but it was not a pretty divorce uh with the nets was well it? his number is retired by the nets number five is retired by the nets and, uh, you know, he, uh, he's the greatest player until they got Durant, who is at another, who is the greatest, in my estimation, the greatest player at the NBA level. Dr. J was also a net, but he never played with them in the NBA. He only played with them in the ABA. Uh, but Jason Kidd made everybody better. That's the bottom line. When he mm-hmm. got on the court, he made everybody better. Um, and, uh, uh, he'll, he'll always have a soft spot in my heart. And uh, I think he's going to do a very good job as coach in Dallas. He did a very good job with the Nets uh, in the one year as coach. And he wanted Absolutely. a little more power. Um, and uh, they wouldn't give it to him. 
And uh, I could tell you one thing, some, and I won't go into detail, sure. but some of the changes that he wanted to make at the end of that first year in the organization on the basketball operations side uh, eventually came true. The things that he wanted, he wouldn't get, and that's why he went to Milwaukee. Uh, uh, what he said and what he wanted eventually happened uh, to the Nets. But now the Nets, uh, uh, with Sean Marks, who I think is a brilliant general manager, and uh, they have as good a player in the last 10, 15 years. The skill of Durant uh, is, is unmatched. I mean, he can shoot. Um, he can shoot off the dribble. Uh, uh, he's, he came off his Achilles injury, and he can still explode to the hoop. Um, the Nets would have won the NBA championship last year if Kyrie didn't turn his ankle uh, against the Greek freak, and if Harden hadn't uh, uh, had the hamstring muscle pull late in the season. But even if Harden didn't come back 100%, if Kyrie didn't uh, have that horrific ankle sprain, the Nets would have won the championship. Phoenix, Phoenix would have been no match for them. And how about uh, that? And, Wouldn't uh, Nash versus former team? That would have been kind of fun. Right. It? Yeah, you had Nash versus his former team, and the Nets would have I think the Nets would have swept them. Well, Lou, if they, if they play. In the, in, and I want to ask you about that because as a Net fan now, knowing that you've experienced that taste of going to the finals, doesn't it frustrate you when they don't get to the finals every year? Or how, how does that feel watching this team year in, year out now, having well, been on now, the other side? Now, this, now, now, now this, this group has been together you know, really only one year. Um, again, you don't know what's going to happen next year. You can never... You can never uh, you can never count injuries. You don't know when injuries are going to happen. Like I said, if Kyrie didn't get hurt, Milwaukee they were up two games to one. Milwaukee wasn't going to wasn't going to win that series. Sure. Go back, just go back a couple of years when Toronto won the championship, and Kawhi Leonard was fantastic for for Toronto, but Clay Thompson got hurt and missed the whole series. Mm. Durant Durant only came back for Game Five. He had gotten hurt earlier. Came back for Game Five and then a blue out as Achilles. If if Durant was healthy and if uh, Thompson didn't get hurt, Toronto wasn't beating Golden State. Mm. They just weren't. No, they so weren't. You got to get lucky at you, you, you got to get lucky at times with injuries. And nobody could. Everybody likes to have a crystal ball. All things being equal, the Nets should be uh, should be the best team uh, in the East, and probably should be playing the Lakers next year. Uh, in yep. June, but who knows? Lou, I gotta uh, say, wa- watching two guys exit the arena on crutches back to back nights, Thompson and Durant, that was just weird. I've never seen that in an NBA final at all, like like that yeah, magnitude. Right. Yeah, no, that is. I mean, no, Kawhi Thompson is a great a great NBA player, and then uh, then last year in, in training camp, he suffered another season ending oh. injury. So uh, you don't know. No. Know. And the Golden State Warriors, one of the teams that has been the downfall of the, you know, almost the century at the moment because they were at the top. Now they just can't get it together. They're not healthy. But that's another story for another day. Some might be wondering, Lou, maybe me as well, uh, did they carry you over from Brooklyn to New, from New Jersey to Brooklyn? Were you part of that transition or when did you retire? Like, give us a timeline here. Well, uh, I, when I left the Nets in the. 2008, at the end, uh, right around in December of 2008, I had been working on Brooklyn for about about two years. Um, the team was still in New Jersey. The team didn't get to Brooklyn until uh, 
you know, the 12, 13 season. Originally it was supposed to get to Brooklyn, uh, like in 2007 and 2008, but it got delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, eminent domain, uh, issues, uh, people fighting back. They didn't want the arena there, uh, but they worked that out. And for a while, I, it didn't look like Brooklyn was going to happen, but, uh, but uh, it did. It's the best thing that ever happened to the franchise. And uh, so I, I had meetings in Brooklyn. We had an office in Brooklyn right across the way from Barclays. But um, I, did not, I was not with the team when they moved to Brooklyn. Uh, they, they, they moved to Brooklyn about three and a half years after I left. Well, I so, know you... uh, I was there for their entire metal and just just about their entire metal and history. And I got to ask you, in a, so you did, were there in 81, 82, the Devils are formed. Were you invited to be part of that organization as well? Because was there a tandem there at one point? There was not. I, ironically, eventually there was a tandem for three years. If you're mm-hmm. but in 19, 1982, which was my second year with the Nets. It was the first year the Devils came into uh, uh, the Meadowlands. They moved from Denver, Colorado. They originally were the Kansas City Scouts in 74, 75. They came in with the Washington Capitals um, as an expansion team in the NHL. Uh, they only were in uh, Kansas City for two years, then went to Denver, and I think for six. Um, and uh, they were sold to John McMullen, a New Jersey uh, businessman. And... Uh, he brought the team to New Jersey, and the team floundered. I mean, the team just wasn't good. It was still – remember, expansion teams in those days, it took time to get better. Not like we see expansion teams now that have free agents and uh, just other uh, just other avenues. There, there was no Las Vegas Golden Knight situations back 40 <laughs> that years That was ago. unbelievable. Their first the year they make it to the – I mean, I, I, where would that come from, Right. right? <laughs> Well, that came from because free agency, they were able to get players through free agency. But getting back to the Devils, the Devils started in 82-83, and they really were a, a really a terrible team until Lou Lamorello got there in 86-87. In, uh, they, they made the playoffs in 88. They got to the conference finals in 88. And, you know, Lou just built a, a team where they won three Stanley Cups. They got to the finals five times. And uh, for three years... Uh, the when the original net owners that I was a part of that uh, when I joined the uh, uh, the seven owners who own the Nets they sold to uh, Ray Chambers and a group uh, that ended up being called the Yankee Nets. Yes, sir. And uh, even even Mr. Steinbrenner owned a piece of. Uh, uh, other nets at that time, and as you know, I got to know uh, Lewis Katz up at the stadium, and he and had Lewis, a... right, yeah. and, and Lewis Katz, who was really the guy that I knew, along with Rain Chambers, in that Yankee Nets scenario. So um, we that was a three year thing where uh, Lou Lamorello was the uh, the president and CEO of the uh, of the Nets and the Devils. He was my boss for three years, and. Uh, he, he ran the, the Nets just like he ran the Devils, you know, uh, uh, no messing around, tight ship. And uh, twi- we got to the finals twice. Uh, you know, Rod Thorne was the president of basketball operations for the Nets, and he did a fantastic job. Uh, getting kid for Stephon Marbury was, a, was uh, uh, a, a gold strike for him. We had got, we got uh, Jason in uh, June of – 2001. Now we were trying to get Jason Kidd 
even at the All-Star break that year, at, right at the trade deadline, right up to the trade deadline in February of 2001, we were trying to get, we were trying to get kid, even to start at the end of that season. But didn't work out, and we got Jason at the, uh, during the offseason, and Jason could turn the franchise around. I mean, one guy in sports you see many times can turn a franchise around. He did. He, he, he uh, changed the history of the Nets. And uh, up until that time, in my first 21 years with the Nets, we won one playoff series. Mm. One. In the next six years with Jason Kidd running the show, we won 10 playoff series. Ten playoff series you won. And I should have known they retired his number. Thank you for that correction, by the way, Lou. It's uh, Lou Terminello joining me here. Now, people don't know, but we know each other through the radio world. Uh, we were colleagues yes. at Salem Media in New York City. How did you become, how did you go from the Nets to Salem Radio? And, and where does radio come into this? Because you, you were very involved with that. Well, uh, when I was with the Nets, um, I also worked in the, in the broadcasting department and uh, radio was always something that was near and dear to my heart. And um, back in 1996, uh, we were looking for a new radio home. And um, one of the stations that we targeted was WOR radio. And the person I had to deal with was uh, Jerry Crowley, who is a radio legend uh, in the New York metropolitan area when it, uh, from the executive level. And uh, we uh, hammered out a deal, Jerry and myself, uh, to be on WOR. They carried Nets basketball. They carried Nets basketball for eight years, right through uh, uh, the 2003-2004 season. And uh, uh, Jerry and I stayed friends. And even after we moved to WFAN in 2004, 2005, and the Nets are still on WFAN today. Um, and, now, was Chris uh, Carino calling it back then, too, or who was calling it back in the day? Okay, when um, Bob Papa, who was the Giants play-by-play announcer, and he used to be Seton Hall basketball uh, announcer, uh, became our play-by-play announcer, and Chris Carino who became the full-time, got the full-time job the first year the Nets went to the finals in 2001-2002, was, did about 20 games per year when uh, Bob had assignments that involved the Giants. And, um, but uh, when Mr. Lamorello took over, he didn't like the fact that we didn't have one guy doing all the games. So Bob had to make a decision. And Bob was doing some stuff on network TV that was interfering with some with some of uh, his next games. So Chris Carino became the uh, full-time uh, play-by-play guy, and he's a fantastic announcer. He, uh, you, when you're listening to Chris Carino on the radio, uh, along with Tim Capstra uh, doing the color, uh, you, there isn't a better uh, play-by-play color uh, combination uh, in New York broadcast radio. It's it's, it, it's tremendous. And look at the parallel, uh, yeah. just for a second on, yes, you got Ian Eagle and Kellen Trapukic uh, still, I believe. I mean, what a team there, too. So TV and, and radio stacked for the Nets uh, broadcast teams. Well, right. Well, right now you got you got Ian and you got Sarah Kusek. She does a great job. Uh, now, now Kelly Trapukic did radio for the Nets, and he did some TV back in those 
right around right in, around 2001, 2002, 2003, um, and did a, and did a good job. Um, but uh, getting back to how I how I got to involved in radio business, Jerry was like I said, Jerry Crowley. I knew Jerry, and when I left the Nets, uh, soon I I uh, worked at the New Jersey Sports and Exhibition Authority for a couple of years, which held uh, uh, you know the contract for the arena. Uh, for Giant Stadium, uh, Monmouth Park, uh, the Meadowlands Racetrack. So I worked there for two years. And uh, but the uh, NGSEA was didn't ha- didn't have the cachet it did in the '90s. The Nets, Devils, and Seton Hall all moved out. The, the Nets to Brooklyn, uh, the Devils and Seton Hall to Prudential Center. Um, and the Jets and Gi- the Giants Stadium, they had no control over anymore because the Jets and Giants spent their you know spent their own money along with some taxpayer money to 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 co-own the new MetLife Stadium. Uh, so I was there for a couple of years at the NGSCA, but it wasn't it, it, it didn't it wasn't really floating my boat. To make a long story short, Jerry left WOR, came to AM nine seventy. Uh, we got together and. Uh, I was there for five and a half great years before I decided to uh, uh, retire. <laughs> well, but I'm and, glad you know, I had I had a lot of fun at the station. Uh, I was a sports director there, and we, as you know, Alex, we brought some great sports uh, uh, to the station. Still to this day, we carry uh, AM 970 and MCA carrying Seton Hall basketball, Syracuse football, and basketball. Um, we had the Islanders for a couple of years. I know we're still going to carry some Islander games as a uh, uh, part of their schedule. It was a lot of fun. We carried, we had, we carried World Series games, playoff games. I loved that job. I loved being a sales guy there, a sales manager there. The people were great. You were great. It was a, it was a fun thing. Radio uh, always, always intrigued me. Well, the, sport, the business of sport intrigues me. I always had, just like I said, since I was a young kid. And now more than ever, there's just so many opportunities for people who want to work at different levels of sport, whether, whether it's uh, selling sponsorships, uh, selling media, selling internet, selling streaming, selling apparel. Um, there's just, it's endless. And there's so many more opportunities, both at the media level and at the league level and the team level. There's, there really is. It's, anybody who wants to get in the business, now's now is a great opportunity for, for people to do that. Okay, I want to talk about the evolution because I, uh, of sports media, as you've seen it. But you just mentioned the Islanders. And how does a guy involved with the Nets and involved in the same arena that the Devils were become an Islander fan? You're a Jersey guy. How are you an Islander fan? Tell me. Well, I, I, the Islanders, uh, since day one, uh, since the first year in seventy two seventy three, uh, just caught my caught my eye um, as as a I, and I'm I'm a guy who roots for the underdog, so uh, they were the underdog and they were an expansion team. They they won twelve games their first year. Like I said, in seventy two, uh, there was no um, uh, advantage to like expansion teams have now. Free agency. A, a greater group of players to draw from um, in the expansion pool. Uh, and uh, then they became good right away through, through Bill Torrey drafting 
Dennis Potvin and Brian Trache and Mike Bossy. They got Billy Smith, a Hall of Fame goaltender, in the expansion draft. Um, and they built one of the greatest teams of all time in the NHL, uh, going to five finals in a row, winning four of them. And I think I think sixteen of the uh, sixteen of the players uh, went to one won all four cups, which is different than sports is nowadays because you have so much changing of rosters year in and year out in sports. Think about that. Forty years ago, sixteen of those guys on the Islanders have four rings. That can never happen now. And they won nineteen playoff series. That can never happen now. Just can't. Well, it it's so, been a special uh, run. They, they, yeah, it was a special so, run then, and then to see the Coliseum go must have really uh, did it. Did it get to you a I little love bit? The Coliseum, I love the Coliseum because it was such a great build. It, it was such a great building to watch a sporting event from. Um, now it it didn't have the bells and whistles like a lot of these other arenas have, but who cares? I go to watch the game, and uh, I can never remember going to an Islander game and having a bad seat. Never. So, yeah, hopefully UBS Arena, I'm sure it's going to be spectacular, and I look forward to, to going to a game to a game this year. And um, as colleagues of 970, we happened to meet John mm-hmm. Ledecky. That was a special night. That's right. You're 100% right. Um, John Ledecky's a good guy. He, care, he cares about the Islanders um, very much so. And... Uh, I think that they're this close to winning the Cup. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Tiesner got to Game 7 uh, this past year. And, uh, you know, Mr. Lamorello's done a great job there in a short period of time as their general manager. And uh, getting Barry Trout was his best free agent pickup. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so I, I think that they'll have a chance again. The NHL's tough. This year, the Isles are playing their first 13 games on the road. Um, and uh, that's going to be tough. Uh, it's the longest, it's the longest uh, road trip in, in, in history. So uh, it's going to be something. Happens, but I think, I think they'll be good. Lou, I got you, to get you back on for another sports update. But really quickly, seventh grade Lou. Uh, now today, seventh graders are on social media. They're they're trying to break into the business, even sports business through social media. But what would what would you tell seventh any seventh grader now uh, that they have all the social media around them and 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 your viewpoint of the evolution of sports media? What would you say to, to all of that? Well, I, I, again, uh, the attraction of sports now is different, and more unfortunately. Uh, more kids are not playing sports during the day. They're on social media. But social media is is, is big in, in sports. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I used to read three, four pa- newspapers a day, the old-fashioned uh, uh, hard copy of papers. You know, uh, now I read, uh, I read them online. And uh, you don't even need to go to read a paper because you can go to – there's so many apps. Uh, you can uh, you can go to Facebook and, and you can r- read about sports. Uh, what's happening? You know, sports news, the day in sports. So, who knows what's happening in the future? Hey, you, um, there's uh, uh, Saturday's Notre Dame game, which NBC has uh, the contract for Notre Dame football forever. Uh, but they also have a streaming service, Peacock Premium. 
And the Notre Dame-Toledo game this weekend is not going to be on NBC. It's going to be on, it's going to be on Peacock Premium because they want people, young people, sports fans, to buy their service. So it's no difference than people who want to buy Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime. Next year, exclusively, the NFL Thursday night game is going to be on Amazon Prime. So if I and I'm not I, I, I am not an Amazon Prime subscriber. So if I want to watch Thursday night football next year, I got to subscribe to that. So, um, you know, it's not only social media. It's the apps. Uh, like I said, there's it's so much different uh, than uh, than than uh, I was growing up when I was in seventh grade. Um, there was when I was in seventh grade. uh uh, the entire winter team sports schedules, the Knicks and the, the Nets and the Islanders and the Rangers, their whole schedule wasn't even on radio. I mean, some games are on TV that weren't on radio. Um, you know, it's just a whole different, it's just a whole different ball game. Uh, it really is, but you could follow sports on Facebook. You could follow sports on uh, you know, any Instagram, uh, you know, it's, and it's, and there's going to be new ones that we don't even know about yet, Alex. Absolutely. They're always seeming to be evolving. And can you dig sports radio, by the way, it's sort of a new thing that I found out about just two weeks ago and we're off and running second weekend. So Lou, I'm very honored that you've been part of this today and part of this show. It's been a long time coming friend. And, and by the way, as a colleague, I really loved having you as a colleague and, and someone to look up to in this business. So thanks for always being there uh, day in and day out, really. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And you know how much I enjoyed working with you. And uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, hopefully we'll be doing it again. Okay, one last thing. You said nun at the beginning. You're a Catholic high school nun or your seventh grade nun. Tell us how you first got to see me because this is a weird story that I even know about. But it deals with Roman Catholicism and the Cardinal of New York City. Well, it's really is a, it really is an ironic story. Um, uh, when uh, the the great Cardinal O'Connor passed away, I was watching uh, his funeral in my office in the Meadowlands, and uh, as his funeral mass came to a conclusion. Um, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were uh, talking to this young man, handicapped young man. And uh, I said, oh, okay, great photo op for uh, Bill and Hillary. Great picture. A, a cute little kid now who I guess how I was, I don't know, 10 years old, 8, 10 eight years old. 8 at the time. It's unbelievable to think okay, that. Okay, eight, 8 years old. So... Um, uh, little did I know that uh, when we started together, and we both started at the radio station on the same day. Remember, uh, on that o- August thirteenth, uh, yeah, we both started the same day. Little did I know yep. that um, the little the little kid in the picture with Bill and Hillary Clinton after the uh, uh, Cardinal O'Connor funeral was Alexander Garrett. 
<laughs> so I knew you before I knew you. <laughs> and I'm thankful to be alive to see you 20 plus years later, right? So that's just a yeah, blessing. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that that is for sure. And uh well, we, and it's funny you didn't see me at any sports arena even though I've been to all of them. You saw them on TV. That, that's so sort of interesting. So Oh yeah, that was interesting. I said, "Oh, who's the, who's the poor kid?" <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou, you got to come back. We were going to do a sports update, but this was so much more uh, meaningful and impactful, your your life in sports. Now, next time, I'm going to grill you on, on, like, week whatever of the NFL because we're there. We are that'll there. Great. So uh, come yeah, back on great. soon enough. The fall yeah, is here. Football is here. Lou's here. And you're here on Can You Dig It Sports. Thank you, Lou, again for joining. Yeah, it'll, it'll be my pleasure. Anytime you need me, I'm here. Thank you so much. And to those listening, thanks for listening today to this uh, conversation with Lou Terminello, the former senior VP of New Jersey Nets Sports and Entertainment. And, of course, he's still following sports as if it was uh, like the back of his hand, and I love that about him. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow here on the Sports Hour and Kenny Dickett Sports. Have a great day. I'm Alex Garrett. Talk to you soon.